0: There was something there that was so raw where I was like, wow, I can't believe someone would say that. Let's go there on Going There with Dr. Mike, brought to you by Sound Mind Live and the Consequence Podcast Network every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network.
1: Hello there. This is John Doe from the band X. You are listening to the story behind the song on the Consequence Podcast Network, and I'm so glad you are.
0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Story Behind the Song, the Consequence Podcast Network series where we interview the iconic artists behind the most iconic songs of the past few decades. I'm your host, Peter Chadi, and each month I dive deep into conversations with your favorite musicians of all time to get insights into the creative journeys behind their most popular and lasting songs. I also ask each artist about one of their personal favorite deep cuts from their own catalog, And in the process, these living legends reveal frequently surprising, never-before-discussed details about these songs and their creative journeys, as well as candid reflections about their personal triumphs and challenges. In this episode, I speak with John Doe of X, a band that formed in 1977, released its first album in 1980, Los Angeles, and defined LA's punk scene with iconic songs that still rage over 40 years later. John is a multifaceted artist. He's a musician, songwriter, actor, and poet. We discussed the punk classic Los Angeles, from the album of the same name, a provocative song that features a central character, a real-life central character, whose perspective is so raw and intolerant that some radio stations now refuse to play it. We also discussed John's pick, His bandmate Exine Zervenka's very different country-infused beautiful song, Alone in Arizona, from Doe's 2016 solo album, Westerner. So take a listen as we dive into the story behind the song with John Doe of X. John, welcome. Thanks so much, Peter. And John, where are you today?
1: I'm in Austin, Texas, the north part of Austin.
0: Ah, outstanding. And when did you move to Austin? It'll be five years in March. Okay. Yeah. And in, before that, you lived in Los Angeles, right? No, I haven't lived in Los Angeles for probably 30 years.
1: Um, ah. I, in about nineteen. 89, I moved up to the Grapevine, Fraser Park, you know, uh, just above Six Flags Magic Mountain and um, lived there for about 20 years. Then um, my partner and I ended up in um, the San Francisco Bay Area. I lived in Bakersfield for a little while, then San Francisco, uh, North Bay, and then in the East Bay, and then we moved out here. Ah, great. Great. How do you like it over there? It's great. I mean, the summers are punishing. And uh, I mean, they are brutal. Uh, but I grew up in Baltimore. So, you know, humidity doesn't scare me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's still it's still terrible. But, <laughs> you know, you take a shower when you get sweaty, <laughs> exactly. you know, and, exactly. and we have air conditioning and, you know, modern uh, <laughs> advan- advances like that. But it's it's great. I mean, it is uh, like every place changing quite a bit. You know, uh, I'd, I'd like to throttle somebody at the New York Times talking about Austin is the place to move. And it's like, Jesus Christ, dude, really? Uh, and, and the housing uh, costs have, have gone way up. I'm not sure that we could have actually bought a house in the market now, but um, it's, I'm very fortunate to have a house, A, but B, to have gotten here
0: when the prices were sort of reasonable. Glad you said that about the New York Times, because I won't ask you about that now. <laughs> my, just as a, a fun fact, my uh, my mother-in-law and her new husband are in Austin and they were just visiting. And so, yeah, uh, there there is that connection. It, we have that conversation a lot. Right. It, it's a
1: it's a great place. It's still good for music. Um, it's a little bit of yeah. monoculture, even though there are some fringe, uh, you know, hip hop and and, uh, you know, different rock and roll. Uh, bands and things like that but it's very livable and and uh you know they have this uh ham which is uh you know medical insurance for for um uncovered for you know musicians that don't have coverage and and sim which is uh you know for mental health and yeah you know, it's it's pretty music friendly
0: yeah, although
1: no, although the the two big uh rehearsal places just got bulldozed uh to make way for big apartment buildings you know so it's uh, like yeah we love you but you really can't
0: rehearse here sorry yeah <laughs> like, now that, that, that that's a shame yeah. that's a shame because those iconic spots are so important yeah. and such a part of music and that you
1: know the the kind of slacker culture really started here because you can have a couple bands and you could 10 bar a couple of shifts and you could make your way, you know, you didn't have to work too hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But
1: that's over. So do you miss Los Angeles at all? Uh, no, because it's changed so much, you know, I mean, when I moved out of LA in 89 or yeah, it was already, you know, had sort of shifted under your feet and that's the nature of, of LA, but I enjoy seeing people there. I enjoy, you know, going to certain places, but a lot of them are gone. So, uh, Yes and no. You know, I, I get to go back there to, to work and
0: that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I gotcha. Well, listen again, um, great to have you on John. And today we're going to be talking about two, two songs. And as always, like I said, we talk about one of the most iconic songs of um, my guest. and we're going to be speaking, we're going to be talking about Los Angeles, the great song Los Angeles from the album with the same name, which came out in 1980. And uh, so we're going to dig deeply into that musical journey and then uh, the second song is a selection that you chose from your solo album, Westerner, from, not, from 2016. And the name of that song is Alone in Arizona, and we're gonna de- dig deep in that song too, which is a very different kind of song, obviously, yes. than Los Angeles. And so it's a great juxtaposition. But first of all, before we dig into those songs, John, can you can you just kind of take me through your musical journey you said you were born and raised, or at least raised in Baltimore, and how you picked up music and picked up um, guitar and singing and and all of that, where that came to be, and then ultimately your journey from there.
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, Well, my parents played music. Uh, My dad played piano, and my mom sang, but it was kind of long hair, you know, classical style music. So, Uh, We had records and a lot of it was opera and I didn't get that. But uh, growing up in the age that I did, late 50s, early 60s, um, folk music was what kids got. So I had some records of my own, some, you know, 10 inch records and LPs that were of Lead Belly and Woody Guthrie and Cisco Houston and and people like that. So uh, and and a lot of those. and, And there was also a guy named Sam Hinton from San Diego. He uh, was more of a musicologist and a biology teacher, I believe, but um, he was very instrumental in my uh, learning of the folk songbook because he had a he had a record called Singing Across America, and it had all these old folk songs, uh, Frankie and Johnny, and and um, uh, the uh, Barnyard Song. You know, I had a bird, the bird pleased me, that sort of stuff, and. But a lot of it was about, you know, the devil and and drunkards and and people dying. And, and it's like, <laughs> and this was just considered, oh, this is kids music. You know, let the kids listen to this.
0: <laughs> Which, yeah. So
1: I, I'm, I'm sure that that's where uh, a lot of my storytelling um, in lyrics comes from. And then uh, living in Baltimore in, you know, 62, 63 uh, is when we moved there. and. You know, there were great radio stations and they were still playing Chuck Berry and doo-wop songs because Baltimore was a little behind the times. And then the, you know, the British invasion happened and I was in fourth grade, I think, or something like that. It's like, holy crap, there's this. And then, you know, then soul music comes, you know, Motown comes behind that. And, you know, James Brown had his own station in Baltimore. Uh, He had several on the East Coast. But anyway... Uh So I'm part of that generation, and I don't like to brag about it, but it was pretty great because you could just turn on the radio and, and and they would you know have pretty great songs and top 40 was also pretty mixed. you know they would have Dion Warwick and then they would have some like Johnny Tillotson that was sort of country and you know stuff like that. And then you know I was uh fifth, fourteen, fifteen when uh psychedelic music started happening and I started playing bass. I figured that was easier than guitar, and um, some of that's borne out by, like, some of the guitar players' personalities that I know, because they, <laughs> they have to sit in
0: their bedroom and play those licks over and over until they get them right. Did you, how did that happen? How did you pick up the bass and play that? Did, did somebody buy it for you? Did you go out there because you knew that you, you just wanted to try it?
1: Uh, well, as usual, uh, I had a friend who played piano. And uh, like I said, I wasn't interested in guitar. So I thought, oh, bass seems a little easier. It's only got four strings. And uh, yeah, I I bought one. It was a Kent. It was $125. And uh, I paid like $5 a week. And then my second bass, which I still have and and wrote most of the early X songs on, uh, was a 1960 jazz bass. And they're pretty rare. And uh, another friend who was a guitar player had bought it at a pawn shop for 150 bucks, and I bought it from him. And now it's worth, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. I bet it is. Well, partly because I, I it own is. it, but also because of the the just it's a rare um, uh, instrument for Fender. But um, yeah, so psychedelic music, The Doors and Jimi Hendrix, and I got to see them live, and and Janis Joplin and and um, people, Cream and people like that, and and it was uh, blew my mind. You know, I mean, I was so, so you were pretty.
0: Yeah. So you were pretty deep into music already. If you're going to see shows like that at the age of, of 15, oh, 16. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I know, you know, it's a, a, a point of um,
1: pride, I guess. Uh, the, the very first rock and roll show I saw was the Rolling Stones.
0: Ah, uh, bad. When, they, when
1: they were touring the big hit, big hits, high tide, green grass. So 66 or something like that. And it was at a, you know, at the hockey arena or basketball arena. And I think they played about a half an hour because people had climbed on stage and the cops threw them off. And then the show was
0: over. And I thought, what have I, you know, I had no idea what I had just seen, but it was cool. Yeah. No, I bet it was. And you were still in Baltimore at the time? Yes. And so then what took you or when did you go out west from Baltimore?
1: Uh, I left at the end of 76. And um, I've been playing in in you know cover bands and bar bands and things like that, uh, s- you know probably for five years, four or five oh, years, okay. pretty pretty regularly. Okay. And there was a lot of there were a couple of places we played in Fell's Point, and that was John Waters and and his crew's hangout. So um, okay. I got to know John uh, through there, and we go to you know 80s Shopping Basket. Uh, which was her thrift store, you know, uh, Edith Mathews' thrift store, and you know they were they were kind of attainable, you know, movie stars. They were movie stars, but they would just be hanging out at the bar, and and you could talk to them, and um, you know, met Devine a few times, and and he was, you know, like everyone says, just sweet and kind, and and you know, not at all like his his uh, stage character, but. I had to get I know I had to get out of there because I and I my parents lived in New York. I had been to see uh, Talking Heads and the Heartbreakers at CBGB's and Max's Kansas City. And it seemed as though New York was very kind of locked down and it already, you know, there were a lot going on. And I I was just done with the East Coast. I didn't like the weather and pretty, you know, Cynical and, and negative kind of point of view, and went to the West Coast. And it was like, this is a, such a breath of fresh air. So,
0: is that when you, when you first moved out to the West Coast? Was that when you first started writing music, or were you writing beforehand, writing your poetry beforehand? Uh, no, I went to Antioch College. Uh, there was a branch in Baltimore, um, mm-hmm.
1: which were, they were all night classes, but they had a writing program. And uh, I'm still in touch with a couple of people from that. I, I restarted uh, going to a poetry workshop on Zoom with them once a month. Ah, that's cool. So yeah, I've been writing for, I don't know, four or five years. I went to school for a year and then dropped out and then went back and and uh, worked. Part of Antioch is you have to work while you're in school. You have to make you know academic credits and also work credits, which I think is a great idea. But anyway... Um, yeah, I was already writing, writing kind of bad songs, writing songs that that were trying to be like the band or Bob Dylan or or something, you know, the Beatles or you know, Bo, David Bowie. I, I don't know, you know, just stuff that was copying things. Yeah, uh, but it was so it wasn't until I met Exene and um, had decided that okay, that was then. This is now, you know, reinvent yourself. I uh, Sort of chose the you know stage name John Doe, you know, inspired by John Waters
0: and Andy Warhol. Um, where, where you? Well, that's interesting. So you, so you were tired of the East Coast. You moved out to Los Angeles in '76, I think you said. Yeah. Okay, you moved out in '76, and where? First of all, where did you end up? What part of Los Angeles? Because Los Angeles has in, such has so Venice. many different personalities. Okay, in Venice. I moved to Venice. And then, how soon thereafter did you meet Exine? Uh, pretty soon, because I, I went to the Venice Poetry Workshop,
1: which is a fairly famous workshop, and and I uh, figured I could meet like-minded you know uh, people, and and Exine was there, and she was the, she was the only like other kind of young person who looked exotic and cool, and so I sat next to her, <laughs> and we went out like right afterward went to the bar next door, which was a kind of a jazz club called the Comeback Inn. in. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, I mean, at that point you could, you know, live and be free in Venice, California. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, my, I rented a house with my friend and it was like $600 and it was a complete house. And then he left, he went back to Baltimore and then I rented my own apartment and it was like, one hundred and twenty-five bucks or something. <laughs> it like, yeah, yeah, it was great. It was there was very it was very bohemian then.
0: Yeah, no, there's no question. Fun memories um, so. yeah, of it. Yeah, I I bet. And and you had already um or or had you already formed a band of some kind before meeting her? It was pretty much the same time. I put an ad okay. in
1: this uh, free paper called the Recycler, or it yeah. wasn't free. It was a classified paper. And Billy, Billy Zoom put an ad in the same day or the same week, and we called each other. You know, I guess the ads were similarly worded. And uh, yeah, I, I was already playing with Billy, and we were just kind of feeling each other out and and playing some old songs like, uh, you know, uh, Bring It On Home to Me and and um, uh honey don't and things like that and, and he was saying a couple songs there was another guy who ended up uh um uh steve allen who ended up in 2020 we played with him for a little while and and then you know axine was writing lyrics and i thought there was a he, she showed me the lyrics to um i'm coming over and i said well i could make this a song you know and then I, then I asked her if I could if I could play it in my band, and she said, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> this is my song. This is one thing of value that I have, and I'll be damned if you're going to, you know, take it from me. So I said, hey, Billy, you know, I, I think I have a good idea. Let's have this other person in the band. And he was skeptical at first, but, but realized that it was going to take a while for Xene to, you know, learn how to be uh well she was a natural front person but she was going to be a while for us to develop our sound and it was going to take probably the same amount of time for people to start understanding what you know punk rock was
0: i don't think they ever really did well so from the music that you were describing that you were into and and maybe i mis misunderstood it but even with with, with Billy and you were, you were playing some songs before you met x and how, how did you evolve into this initial sound that was, that became X and then we'll delve into Los Angeles too?
1: I think it was, uh, keeping your ear open and, uh, you know, influences of, you know, Iggy and the Stooges and David Bowie and, even Roxy Music and certainly Blue Reed and the Velvet Underground and and uh, and just what was happening in the world, you know, uh, listening to the Ramones and listening to the Clash and and uh, you know all the bands that were in LA as well. And it was you know so you you kind of had a you know how, how what what's my version of this because certainly at that point punk rock was very diverse and each city each city seemed to have its own sound, even though those were very diverse. You know, if you, I think the New York scene was the most influential on us or on me and, you know, the Ramones or Talking Heads or Blondie or uh, television. Um, I mean, they're all very different. And, and the same goes for the bands in San Francisco, like the Avengers and the Dicks and, um, or off uh, crime, the nuns, people like that—they were all very different from each other. So it was like, how, well, how do I fit into this?
0: Well, what was the punk scene like in Los Angeles at the time? And was there was the punk scene in Venice as part of that?
1: No, it was in Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was wide open because nobody could make any money at it, and you know, the mask was the main place that we played. Um, Brendan Mullen who ran that also would rent some, some halls, you know, like uh, social halls and someone would wreck the toilet and then that would be over. <laughs> uh, so it was, of course they did. <laughs> yes, of course they did. Uh, youthful anger, youthful, whatever, uh, stupidity. Um, it was small. I mean, you know, maybe there were 150 people and most of them were in bands and, there was a, you know, luckily we got to, I, I got to experience it and, and for a, a long time, the Whiskey Go-Go and the, and the Starwood, which are the two big clubs there, um, in 76 and early 77, they had disco and they had cover bands and they didn't really have, you know, they had slipped off of the, um, you know, getting of developing bands that are national bands that are touring. You know, they, they had sort of stopped doing that. Um, and then by maybe the middle to the end of 77, they started doing, you know, ha- having more. You know, they had. Television and Blondie and Tom
0: Petty and people like that. Where was the um, club mask? It was right on, off mask? the Hollywood Boulevard. OK, it was. Yeah. Um, Cherokee.
1: And uh, it was an alley behind the Pussycat Theater, which was the, you know, dirty movie theater there um yeah it was just a basement that, that brendan found and it was a total fire trap there was one way in and one way out uh, yeah. you know <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> i mean luckily we I, I got other people and and um my partner and friend twisted my arm to work on those two books the under the big black sun and more fun in the new world and and they it chronicles that era from
0: 77 to 82, and then 82 to 87. Yeah, so, yeah, gotcha. A- and, okay, so you were, so e- Xzine was writing some poetry, um, she joined the band, you started to play together. Uh, when did you come up with the name X for the band?
1: That was Xzine's. idea. And what was the... That was Xzine's idea. Okay. Because uh, most people were, like, the somethings. You know, mm-hmm. the Ramones, the Talking Heads, or I don't know, maybe it was... But so she said, if I had a band, I would just put a big black X up there. And I thought, cool. Yeah, it worked. It, it, you know, it is a, it's an original name. It was really difficult for us to get paid on Spotify for a while.
0: I bet <laughs> like, I bet. Yeah. Um,
1: but yeah, it, it just, you know, it it conjures all these things of you know, a, a cross tilted on its side or a sign at the name of the X or, you know, X is an unknown quantity and all these sorts of things. So it, it was more than just one meaning. And, and you could see, you know, X's everywhere, uh, you know, just in, in nature, in, in the city. And uh, yeah, everybody kind of realized
0: how original it was. No, really interesting. And thanks for taking us through that guided tour of your early days and getting you into your musical life. And we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into the story behind the song, the great song Los Angeles, uh, with that backdrop of Los Angeles that you just gave us. So we'll be right back with John Doe. Okay, everyone, we are back. That was a quick break. And we are back with John to now get in deep into the story behind Los Angeles, uh, which obviously the title track from the album of the same name that came out in 1980. And the band had started in 77. I think that was when you were officially formed and you were playing before then. So Tell us about the making of Los Angeles and then getting into the song. Just uh, everything that you can recall going into that and how it came to be.
1: Well, um, Los Angeles got a bad rap from the other punk rock communities because Los Angeles, especially at that point, had a very glitzy, um, airheaded uh, public image. and But they didn't take into account that there were these writers like Nathaniel West or Charles Bukowski or, you know, all the uh, John Fante, um, you know, all the, the beats kind of started in Venice. And uh, so there's a Los Angeles can be can be pretty cruel um, because but you could live there cheaply. And there was a, a, a great bohemian kind of community that was that was going on. But everybody thought that as soon as you lived in Los Angeles, you didn't have anything to complain about. You know, you you were given a Mercedes and a swimming pool and you were, you know, mom and dad paid for everything. And and it was like, no. So that was part of writing the song, part of uh, calling the record Los Angeles was to put a stake in the ground. And it wasn't called L.A. because, you know, E.L.L.A.Y. Was the way people would, you know, put it down. Um, so Los Angeles was older. Los Angeles was, you know, the Angels. Uh, Los Angeles had had more music, just the, the words, uh, and it was a way for us to stand up for our community, you know, for our punk rock world. And I think at that point, you know, I was I was reading a lot of Charles Bukowski because you know his uh, he he makes writing seem attainable, even though it's it's uh, like I don't know um, John Steinbeck or or um, you know Ernest Hemingway it, it's very simple but it's really well crafted and deep. Um, and it also was shocking, you know, and that's what Andy Warhol and John Waters kind of taught us is that, you know, everyone, things have become very complacent. And so it was easy to be shocking, whether you like the cockettes up in San Francisco or, uh, you know, John Waters and, and divine in Baltimore. Um, it's a way of getting noticed. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it was the same thing, I think, with uh, Vivian Westwood having swastikas on uh, clothing. It's like, look at just look at this and don't just have it in the history books. And w- what do you think? Think. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. And and I, I still wish that people would think a little deeper about everything. So was, but yeah, yeah. So in the in the song. I, I think lyrically it was uh it was to be shocking. It was based on a on a friend of ours, a character who had gotten fed up with the the whole scene and moved to london um, and the simplicity of the words were directly influenced by Charles Bukowski and some other you know poets of the time um you know maybe in, and also influenced by the poets I knew in, in Baltimore, which were
0: performance oriented. Um, and uh, I don't know. The, did they, did they naturally flow? Did the lyrics just naturally flow? Pretty much. You? Yeah, pretty much. I, I mean, uh, I have
1: a, I have a book, a little, you know, book like, like this, that's got the words in it, you know, just kind of written down, verbatim Uh, ah
0: that's great
1: yeah it's nice that i could (laughs) that i could find that that is
0: lost somewhere that's that's Um, a great little a great little treasure
1: yes i i you know i'm not a hoarder but i do you know keep some ephemera of the different times um yeah so i mean at the time it was it was controversial you know using the n-word and everything and and it was meant to be it was like uh you have to examine how people become racist that was the point of it and since punk rock was if you wanted to suffer you know the abuse that punk rockers got you know if you were you know whatever color you were or sexual persuasion it's like you're welcome because you're going to get more shit (laughs) but but you know we're inclusive come on in you know
0: Um, Right. Even though it
1: was it was, you know, primarily white, but there were were a lot of, um, you know, gay influences that were that were all accepted. And uh, especially in the early days, you know, as the the 80s wore on, it became a little bit more. um, uh, It was a little different, but. Yeah, it was it was meant to be controversial, it was meant to hold up a mirror to people like, here's this, you know, N-word, Jew mexican what you know what what are you going to do so that was the point of it and and surprisingly up until i think recently that it was played on kroq you know it was was played on you know a a big fm station with the n-word in there and it's like huh okay obviously now we don't we when we sing it live it's uh christian and jew we changed it to she started to hate every christian and jew <laughs> so
0: it's like but you know it's, it, it's um equal you know, hate for everyone <laughs> I, I was gonna I, I was gonna ask you about that i was gonna ask you about just that uh the you know the evolution of the n word and it was meant to shock you included it to shock when you wrote that song because that's kind of what you know to get people to think like you said and so you know, obviously, that song. I, I spent my formative years in Los Angeles too. Heard that song all the time on K Rock and all the other main, you know mainstays when it came to music. And uh, how do you feel about that? Of the word, which was intentionally there to shock, now being altered or changed for understandable reasons, but nonetheless, as an yeah. artist who was there meant to shock, how do you feel about that?
1: Uh, I think you have to change with the times and, and new information. And I mean, it was, yes, I, it was meant to shock, but I don't think we understood the how hurtful it basically is. So you don't realize things, you know, you don't realize, uh, and you have to change. Yeah. It's kind of, you yeah. know, and I, I certainly didn't want to, you don't want to dig your heels into a, into the wrong side of a, of an argument. Um, even though I, you know, there's part of me that believes that artistry and the arts is a safe place. And, you know, Robert Maplethorpe and, and his photographs and, you know, all the books that get banned and crap like that. It's, it should be a safe place, but I, I'm not, I'm interested in communicating to people, entertaining people. Uh, I'm not interested in getting canceled because I, I you know, want to be a hard-ass about artistic expression. Yeah. It, yeah. It's there. No. It's there. Um, yeah. I'm glad we haven't no, gotten canceled a- because of it. Cause, cause that was not the
0: intention of it. And, but, uh, well, you guys are, listen, um X, ex- your your band plays such a central role in music and your albums, a couple of them, you know, for, for not that it necessarily matters to get accolades, but Rolling Stone, I list them as in the top several hundred of all time, like five hundred of all time. Mm-hmm. And so pivotal role in music. And and it 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 is an interesting dilemma for an artist. Yeah. It just it just is because the times are different than <laughs> they were. And like you said, the intention was not, was meant to be a certain way, but it's it's understandable what the evolution is. But it's still it's it's an interesting subject to cover for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm glad that the people are more aware of of all those things. You know, whether it's the you know Washington Redskins and or, or or whether it's just the way people act at a business meeting. Yeah. You know, so they're not. They're they're more aware, may, you know. Maybe they're faking it, but I think that they have to be more aware to to be equal to to, to listen to you know, and, and that's all good. You know, we we were we stood for for being you know inclusive and, uh, but you have to grow. Yeah, and, and yeah. the the language is always changing. English is always kind of evolving, and you know, for better or for worse, and and so. Yeah, I'm. I'm in. I'm in. I I want to be on the right side. I want to help people and not hurt people.
0: Understood. Yeah. And and how did the let, let's go into more into the music of the song itself. Um. So lyrically, I understand where that came from. But um, tell us a little bit about how you. What did the lyrics come first? Did the music come first? The riffs. How, how did that all come to be?
1: Uh, at that time and even now, I'll I'll have a, a number of different pieces of writing, um. Some are Exine, some are mine and different pieces of music and just sort of mix and match until it seems like the, the meter and or or sometimes, uh, you know, Exine very talented in, in being able to write a song beginning to end. I mean, she'll write a verse, a chorus, a verse, you know, and then there'll be a space for another chorus and and then you're done. And, you know, uh, the new world was kind of like that. But uh, for Los Angeles. um, For some reason, I started being able finding a way to to have uh, three chords uh, in a loop, where normally it would be four. A a normal kind of chord progression, you would have equal measures for for four chords, and on Los Angeles, it became it started out being four, but then it 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 became more minimal and was just three chords, And, and they would sort of go around in a circle. So, you know, the, yeah. And then there wasn't really a chorus. <laughs> I mean, the chorus was, <laughs> is at the very beginning uh, where she had to leave yeah. Los Angeles. And, and um, you know, just again, telling a story of, of someone who was, who was uh, fed up and, and getting out. Uh, and I, I think there was a propulsion to the, to the music, which was part of our thing. And, uh, and Ray Manzarek uh, encouraged or, or ask us to, to try doing the the, opening, uh, the f- opening four chords twice. So that's a great uh, okay. opening. Try doing yeah. it twice.
0: And I still use that technique. <laughs> yeah, how about that? And so for everybody out there, Ray Manzarek from The Doors. Yes. And how did, how did you end up working with him on this album? Uh, he saw us at, at the
1: Whiskey. And, ah. uh, and actually his wife, Dorothy, had to tell him, oh, they're playing your song, Soul Kitchen. We were already playing Soul Kitchen. Yeah. And he goes, really, what? Because we played it so much faster, it sounded nothing like The Doors. And we met him afterward, and he said, I'd like to come to a rehearsal. He had read a, an article in the LA Reader that I think Chris Morris wrote. And he was, you know, he saw a lot of similarities between the scene that The Doors were in in the early days and the
0: punk rock scene like community and that, that sort of thing. So pretty interesting because certainly the song, the sound obviously is quite a bit different than the doors, but the themes are not um, very LA, very Los Angeles. Dark underbelly. And, and, you know, we were lucky to, to be,
1: to, to capture that. Um, I think there are some other bands that have followed in those footsteps, you know, certainly NWA or, uh, Jane's addiction you know can, can kind of pinpoint a an era and yeah we're we're lucky or
0: yeah or, or what, we had our what, ears
1: open I, I don't know we know we had a, a lot of help from all the other bands that, that we were influenced by whether it was fear or the weirdos or even the germs um, we just all influenced each other and and uh, i i wish i had a better um, a better description of, of how that music came. But, you know, normally I would just keep playing and, and find something and then keep refining that and keep playing. And then as the as the words and music are, I, I did most of that song, both words and music. Exine did some editing, I think, in the words. Um, but it's just sort of piecing it together. You know, it's a uh, you, you may have the first two or three lines and then Shit! What do I
0: do now? Um, yeah. And did you know that? Did you did it feel to you that that one was special? Yes. And
1: same with the world's a mess. Um, mm-hmm. The first time you rehearse some things and they it all kind of fits together. It's not difficult. People, yeah, intuitively know how to what to play. And then you think, oh, well, I did a good job in, you know, giving the skeleton. So that people could just make it whole, um, I didn't. I don't think we had any idea that it would be as uh, long lasting. You know, we pay. We played at the Teragram, uh I don't know the beginning of December, and and people were singing so la- singing that song like all the words, not just the Los Angeles part, so loud that Xena and I were could kind of could hardly hear ourselves you know there were 50 75 people up front that were singing at the top of their lungs and i got all choked up (laughs) i lost my place i ended at the wrong time (laughs) i got all choked up because i realized that it had meant so much to so many people over the years and this was a really young audience you know a lot of people in their 20s and 30s and stuff like that i was like shit that's I mean that's that's what you hope for, is yeah. As an artist, you hope that people that you say something that, that that people can can relate to and and they get something out of and they identify with or whatever.
0: No, it's it's got to be gratifying. Forty years later, after writing that song, yeah. Uh, to to have it be such a part of the consciousness still today, for a, because it is for a small for a small group, but I'll I'll take it. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I it, it's um it it is such an iconic song. Well, it, it is. It's just part of the pantheon now and and um so like like I say in a, in, in a, a limited
1: group and I think that's kind of better than than you know trying to appeal to every like jock and sorority person, God bless them. You know, it, yeah. but they're yeah. not my people. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's not much. There's not much of
0: the Venn diagram that's overlapping on that, you know. <laughs> yeah. So one one more question about it before we move on. We'll take a break and then get into the second song. But how would you say that Ray Manzarek um, influenced your sound in that first album? Uh, by what he didn't do. He. You know, at that point, we had been playing
1: pretty regularly for three years. Um, And 79, we were, you know, headlining the whiskey and playing two shows a night. and, And, you know, that was we were fully developed. So some producers feel like they have to put their stamp on a on a production. Others just sit back and get good performances. And, and that's what the Doors were all about. So Ray was taking his experience and applying it to us. You know, getting, yeah. getting good sounds. Um, inspiring us to, to do the best we could. And I mean, we had, I think we had $10,000 and we recorded the record in uh, 10 days. I mean, maybe it was five days for tracking and 5 days for mixing or something like that. It was yeah, I'm pretty sure it was under 2 weeks. But if you know what you're going to do and you have a little room for improvisation or or melodic changes, I mean I still try to do
0: that. You should be able to 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 make a record in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean look look, you know, it, that is such a part of the punk ethos too. Not necessarily just punk, but yeah. uh, authenticity of, of really getting the performance, bringing that into the recording itself. So you feel like you're part of that, uh, you know, you're part of it. Yes, it
1: should, it should feel alive. It should feel like something is happening as it's being recorded, not that it's been right. um, all scripted and, and manicured. You know, I, I, and I think that's what punk rock was getting away from. You know, we, had, we owe a great debt to people like, uh, you know, Fleetwood Mac and Boston and Linda Ronstadt and the Eagles and things like that, because everything was so manicured. And we just thought, well, what the hell? We're, we're, you know, where's Louie Louie here? Just where's three chords and the truth?
0: <laughs> or is it two <laughs> chords? And the? Tr- I think it's two chords and the truth is what he got. <laughs> yeah, maybe. No, that's great. So listen, we're going to take a quick break, uh, another break, and then we're going to be right back with John Doe, and we're going to talk about the second song, Alone in Arizona. All right. And we're back, John. Yes. Uh, thanks again for being here. Now we're going to talk about your your song selection um, because it was wide open. Yes. So the question for me to you was pick a song, any song that uh, was in your discography. Uh, and you chose a song Alone in Arizona from your 2016 solo album, Westerner. And this is a very different, beautiful song. Why did you choose this amongst all the others that you could have chosen from? I I don't know. <laughs> it <laughs> okay. seemed like a good idea. Well, <laughs> that's punk. That's very punk. Uh,
1: well, because it was very different and it was somewhat newer, um, those are two main things. But it also, uh, Exene wrote this song. She wrote the song beginning to end and it was on her solo record called. Oh crap. I can't remember the name of the record. Um, The something of excitement, the, anyway, you could look it up. You could plug it in there, but um, I love the song. And, and she did it with these two, she recorded it with these two jazz guys, uh, uh, Brady blade and, and Christian McBride and a friend of ours, Michael Blake had just passed away. He's a author. He wrote Dances with Wolves, and he was a great friend of ours. And uh, and I recorded so I, I wrote several songs that were um, tributes to him, or about him, or you know some fictional stuff of, of him as the character and kind of the westerner is uh, uh, you know alluding to to him because he to me represented you know what what that was like. Um, and so i recorded it in arizona in tucson and how gelb uh from giant sand kind of represents the tucson sound which has this deep reverb and a lot of psychedelic kind of uh, effects to it and and you can it has a lot of space like the desert and um yeah there it it had a lot to do with, with our history, you know, from The Hungry Wolf and and Michael's, uh, you know, Dances with Wolves and, and his honoring of, of wolves and that. And so it's it's like a lot of songs. It it goes pretty far back. It doesn't just happen. It, it may happen at a certain time. And I'm not even sure that Axene wrote that about
0: Michael. So... But for me, it, it, it represented that. Interesting, and you mentioned the Tucson Tucson sound. Yeah. Uh, is, that, is that a thing that um, is there? Yeah, a- I think so. I mean,
1: people like, uh, well, Hal was instrumental in, in kind of developing that. Um, uh, other bands you might know, uh, Nico Case, mm-hmm. her, her sound was very influenced by living in Tucson. Hmm. uh Calexico is another band from there uh, the friends of Dean Martinez which is uh, kind of instrumental yeah
0: interesting and, and I,
1: so when you I, yeah i would say it probably started in the
0: early 90s something like that so you have a, a song like that is so different from from um at least early X, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so fundamentally different do you do you just take on different personas when you play different shows um you know X has your your great catalog of songs that you're gonna play and the, the punk sound. Um, I can't imagine, but you know forgive me for maybe not having a broad enough imagination, but for bringing some of the, the these other songs into your shows today, do you do that? Oh sure. Or not, not, in, oh, not into X shows. No, not into X shows. Right. We just play X right. songs
1: and X shows. But I mean, most musicians are love different all, all different kinds of music, mm-hmm. and are and are a- capable of playing different styles. And I realized some point, maybe in the mid '80s, that I could sing and play country western music. And it's convincing, and it, and it sounds decent. It, it sounds real. And if there's anything, I'm, I'm kind of uh, without, I, I do have a persona, but it's not like a David Bowie reinventing. You know, it, it's all based in Americana. It's all based in in stories. It's all based in characters. It's, it's based in being real and being authentic, not
0: trying to pretend. I'm, I'm an unpretender. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a storyteller, right? Because, and, and it, yeah. it's reflected by all the different things you've done. You, you're a poet, um, you're a songwriter, you're a singer, you're an actor. Uh, you've been in a variety of shows. I think Roswell was one of them. Yep. Um, and so you've worn many different hats, but your storytelling throughout all of this.
1: Yes. Um, and and if you're if you're given an opportunity to to do something as an artist, then I think it's your job to see if you can um, to step outside your comfort zone to 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 test yourself to you know see see if you can do it. Not to, not to, you know, to expand rather than to contract. Um, And it's like, okay, I may fall flat on my face, but I'm going to give it a try. So what excites you now? Well, what are you focused on? uh, i made a new record, a new solo record that's going to be out in 2022. And... um, this this is more of a concept record than I've ever done. It's called Fables in a Foreign Land, and everything takes place uh, in like 1890. It's all pre-industrial. There's no modern things, and and it's uh, I'm calling it a folk record, the the John Doe Folk Trio, and it's just uh, upright bass and drums and acoustic guitar and you know one or two guys singing, and um, it was born out of having nothing to do during quarantine and yeah. uh and i was really fortunate to work with with two guys in austin that are one kevin smith plays with willie nelson and and conrad Chakroon plays with patty griffin so they're mm. yeah That's it's great great artist yeah and i have two horses and i ride horses all the time <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound bad <laughs> no i i'm I'm incredibly grateful and fortunate. You know, I I don't have a, a million bucks in the bank, but that's okay. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm good, and and uh, I'm still really happy when when X can play. You know, we we just did this holiday run and unfortunately had to cancel the last show in San Diego because yeah all of us... I know right down this right
0: down the street from me by the way the yeah. the belly ups a, a great club yeah great club we
1: love playing there but uh, yeah a couple of our party got COVID. Even though we're all
0: vaxed and boosted and everything like that, so that sucked. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I bet it. I bet it did. Hopefully, you're going to be able to reschedule that for. Oh yes. You know, er, early this coming year.
1: Uh, I think we might do it in May because we have another show uh, that we're
0: doing something for Tony Hawk in May. So, ah, uh, okay, and just do a one-off. But well, when when is your new album, getting, <laughs> your solo album? going to be coming out in 2022 uh
1: there's pre-order at the beginning of may i think may 8th or something like that so we'll be like releasing a video and taking pre-orders and then i think the vinyl will be delivered in may so march Mm. and then there's another kind of single video uh due in april and
0: then a third one in mar in may when uh, and then we'll do some touring behind that so um before we close is there are there any artists right now, any new or emerging artists that you feel are that speak to you or feel are, are breaking new ground or oh, who, yeah. that you just who, absolutely who who, uh, who do you think?
1: Of? Uh, well, there's one uh, woman who I think is still in in L.A. named Sonny War. And uh, she's kind of a folk singer. Uh, Sonny War. Yeah. I don't think that's her real name, but that's what she goes by. And, uh, and also Skating Polly, who we've played with several times. Um, Exine produced a record of theirs years ago when, when the two sisters, they're, uh, I think, half sisters, but um, they were like eight or nine and 12. And they, they just, they're like now they're 21 and 24 or something like that. And they, okay. they've, they've been a band for 10 years and they have like five or six records.
0: Uh oh, that's amazing. They're so that's good. Amazing.
1: They're so good. Uh there's also a guy a bit... in San Francisco named Trey Burt who's also kind Trey of Burt. a folk singer. He's getting a okay. lot of good notice. Yeah. And but one of my now... one of my favorite records of 2021 or maybe it was 2020 was uh the psychedelic furs. They put a new record out same as us. Uh so their record was so good called Made of Rain. Hmm. Uh and then, of course,
0: Fiona Apple's record, which came out that year, was one of my yeah. absolute favorites. Yeah, no, It's a great album. It's always fun to, to ask musicians who yeah. inspire them or who they believe are breaking new ground. And yeah. it's also wonderful to hear that you know, obviously folk um, Folk has such a long history, but breaking new ground or telling new stories, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, bringing a fresh take to it. And you mentioned Patty Griffin and what, what a, an yeah. amazing artist. Oh, there's another record. The
1: another record I heard recently by a, name, a woman named uh, Maddie Diaz, M A D I Diaz. Beautiful record.
0: I'm going to check all these out. Oh, good. That's why I'm writing them. I on. hope, I hope I, your,
1: I, uh, your listeners will give a listen to them, too.
0: Well, I, I'm sure that they will. And and they should definitely check out um, X's last album, too. That just the first the first new album in 35 years from the original band, yes. from the original lineup uh, called Alphabet Land. And that came out in 2020. Um, and then you have your upcoming new album coming out. You're touring. The tour was cut short in December, but you're going to be coming back in the early part of the year, which will be great. And I'll be at that show down at the belly up for sure. And I always close up with this question. Yes. Uh, if you weren't, if you didn't become an artist and make that your calling, what do you think you would have done? Oh God, I I've been asked this a few
1: times. I have no idea. But um, maybe I, I would like to think I would be a naturalist of some sort. You know, someone who a uh, uh, forest service or uh
0: something like that yeah so you love the great you love the great outdoors
1: the great outdoors is your friend because that's that's where you're more a human that's where you can actually
0: feel like a human rather than inside somewhere um yeah Yeah, which is such an important lesson these days when everybody's so digital
1: yes yeah i know it's uh it's an it's an addiction
0: isn't it yeah Yeah. and sometimes you got to just you know, now I'll wax philosophical. Um, and sometimes you have to get your head up away from the mobile phone. Get out there, listen to some good music while you're doing it. Sure. Walk, walk, walk the dogs, whatever it may be. Well, yeah, walk the dog, but don't look at your phone while you're walking the fucking dog. Exa- yeah, exactly. That, that's a good <laughs> my partner point. likes to say
1: that person needs a dog app because they're just the, they're completely oblivious of of their connection to the dog or the outside. <laughs> And they're because they're looking at their damn phone and the the dog could be walking into traffic as far as they know. Like, yeah. Enjoy the dog for God's sakes.
0: <laughs> You're out with your yeah, dog. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Before, before. Well John, listen, really enjoyed it. Um thanks for joining the story behind the song and and getting deep into the two songs that we discussed today. Everybody should check out, not only the musicians that John mentioned, but obviously the latest work that X did, has done, um, and then the upcoming tour coming out, and the solo album that's gonna be coming out too. But what a wonderful legacy. John, great to hear the stories behind thanks. that, and thank, thanks for joining us.
1: Uh, it, it's been a pleasure. It's like easy and fun, and what else do you need, right? That's the way it should be, right? (laughs) In theory, yes. (laughs) Uh,
0: Very good. Yeah, thanks, Peter. That was John Doe of X. Sharing his in-depth story behind his iconic punk ode to the City of Angels, Los Angeles, and his beautiful recording of Exine Cervenka's song, Alone in Arizona. I'm your host, Peter Choddy. You can follow me on Twitter at pchoddy and at deepcutsmedia.com. For more of the story behind the song, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tune in on the third Monday of every month for new episodes. Also, make sure you're following the Consequence Podcast Network to keep up to date with all our series at consequence.net forward slash consequence dash podcast network. As always, thanks for listening to the story behind the song.